I am glad that you're here today, and I'm especially glad that I'm here today. I uh, got sick, uh, probably all that handshaking last Sunday. No, we, that's what did it. I missed your germs. Uh, I ended up, uh, had a respiratory and sinus infection, but I've been on antibiotic for days, and I'm doing a lot better. I wouldn't have been walking around shaking hands otherwise, but... Uh, just such a blessing to, to get a little better. And I was sharing with uh, Anna and Leah at our house the other day. I said, yeah, I said, the doctor gave me good medicine and, and I'm finally starting to feel better. And Anna said, and because of our prayers for you. And I said, yes, of course, because of those prayers too. So thank you. And if you don't receive the uh, email prayer list from the church, and you would like to receive that, please let Benjamin know, uh, because we love to have folks praying. And uh, so those who got the email prayer list, you knew I was sick, but some uh, didn't know that. So this morning, we're looking at the praise of those who saw him, and we're looking in Matthew 2 and Luke 2, but we're actually starting in Luke 2, because we're going to go in chronological order rather than scripture order. And so we're going to start in Luke 2. This is the praise of those who saw the Lord Jesus. We've looked at his earthly father, his earthly mother, the parents of John. We looked at his cousin John. We looked at his birth. And uh, tonight or this morning, we're looking at the praise of those who saw him. I hope you come back tonight. It'll be a shorter service tonight. Uh, we're going to have a few songs, a shorter message. We're going to have a fellowship. Last chance of 2016 or 2017, right? <laughs> Last chance to get together before 2018. And, and so I, I hope you'll come and be a part of that and bring snacks and join us for that. We'll have a big group game that we'll play, well, some will play, and it, it'll be a, a, a fun time, but it'll also be a serious time from Scripture first, and so it'll be a good night. And we're not staying till midnight. Honestly, those of you who haven't been around, you don't know this, but the, I think the last time we stayed till midnight, I backed my van into my car in the parking lot. So I said, we're never doing that again. But I was just so thankful I hit my own car, not somebody else's or somebody's kid. I mean, if you can't see a car, you couldn't see a kid. So I was glad that's all it was. Kathy wasn't quite as exuberated as I was, but, uh, but you know what a blessing that... Uh, we get to get together and celebrate and have fun together. And uh, of all the people on the planet, those who know Jesus should be the most joyful people. And so are there going to be problems next year? Oh, yeah. Will they be as painful as some of them we went through 2017? I hope not. But the truth is, probably. So uh, aren't you glad we have the Lord? And we can worship him together and celebrate together. And uh, let's look at these, the praise of those who saw him. And we also know him. We haven't seen him yet, but we know him. So we can join in their prayer a little bit. Verse number eight, uh, Christ is born. Uh, the story of that ends in verse seven, verse eight. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Now, when you're terrified and somebody says, do not be afraid, it's kind of like telling a teenage boy, don't be hungry. It doesn't work. You're still terrified. But the angel Gabriel talked with Zacharias, told him John was going to come. Six months later, he talked with Mary. Somewhere in the next three to six months, an angel met with Joseph and talked with him. And Joseph had an angel speak to him on three or four different occasions, always in his sleep in the night. But now the angels are there with the shepherds. And the shepherds are probably low income. Uh, uh, low, I'm sorry, they, we know they're low income because they're shepherds out in the field, but they're probably um, what people would in that culture would have considered the um, of low birth. Our culture allows people to rise up, but in some parts of the world, you're born into a caste system or a lo- and, and you're stuck there for the rest of your life. And, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I was a very poor student in middle school, and if I had lived in Paris, France, I would have never had the opportunity to go to college because you have to earn it every grade up there. And I did well in college. I was more motivated when I got to college. Uh, And I love the freedoms that we have in America, but sometimes it's hard for us to look back into the scripture and realize it was written in a different culture. So the shepherds were probably that low caste, and they certainly were low income, and yet the angels showed up and talked to them. And uh, verse um, 10, uh, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Have you ever wanted to go caroling and have somebody just stand there at the door and start singing and maybe the people would open the door and then everybody else jump out from behind the bushes and sing in and like the angels did to surprise them? I don't know. You probably don't think the way I think, do you? Your life is more boring. But in verse 14, if your translation says, peace among people with whom he is pleased, or something like that, don't get too excited. Remember verse 10. Look at verse 10. What's it say? Uh, Good tidings of great joy to who? All people. So don't get too excited. Now, we know that only those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ They're the only ones who have peace with God and the peace of God. We understand that. So um, there's great joy and good tidings if people will respond to the Father's drawing to salvation and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But only those who have responded are the ones who enjoy His peace and the great joy. What I don't understand, honestly, is that Christmas time, some of the grumpiest people you meet are Christians. Because, frankly, we don't like the commercialism of Christmas. I don't think we should like the commercial. I don't think we should get involved in the commercialism of Christmas. So I stopped buying Kathy's stuff years ago. Not, not really. We do. We give each other a small gift. But, you know, the, the joy of Christmas is our Lord. And we should celebrate our Lord. 
And, and it, when the world, you go to a store and they say, well, Merry Christmas, it will be. When you know the Lord, it's a Merry Christmas celebrating Christ. Um, there's no indication here that the shepherds had been pursuing a relationship with Christ. What were they doing? Yeah, they were washing their socks by night, right? That's what one little kid said in a Christmas program. He didn't understand the keeping watch over their flocks by night. They were out washing their socks by night, but that's all he could think of. And so the shepherds were out in the field, and an angel showed up and told them about Jesus Christ and, and encourages them. So I identify the shepherds with those who might be outside the family of faith. And they need somebody to come out to where they are and share the good news with them. And when that happens, then they can respond to the good news in faith as we see the shepherds do. In verse 15, the shepherds pursue. It says, so, so it was when the angels had gone away, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they, made hate, or they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. The shepherds pursue, they eagerly go to Bethlehem and find Jesus. And then the shepherds proclaim. They tell Mary and Joseph and really anyone else who would listen. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. <coughs> Sorry. It's the most talking I've done in a week. Kathy's enjoyed quiet. The shepherds proclaim and by the way, half the time I say things about Kathy, she says, you make me sound funny. I say, well, you are funny. But no, that, uh, she doesn't care whether I talk a lot. She's put up with it for a long time. So don't think badly of her. I sure don't. Uh, the shepherds pursued the Lord. The shepherds proclaimed what they had heard. And you know what? I want to be that kind of believer. I want to be that person who responds to the Lord, responds to the message of God, and then shares that out with other people. I, I had a very interesting conversation at the bank this week. Uh, Megan was at one teller, and I was at another teller, and, and uh, the teller, they, they know I'm a pastor in there, and she was talking about this person she's dating and how he thinks you can just be good enough uh, to please God. And I said to her, I said, well, tell him that if you could be good enough to please God, then Christ didn't need to die. She said, that's exactly what I told him. But I'm talking to a teller in the bank. We have this little theological conversation. You can bring Christ up. It's not against the law to talk about Christ. We can bring him into the conversation and sometimes have a great opportunity to witness. That's what the shepherds did. They told anybody who would listen. Now, if somebody doesn't want to hear it, you don't pin them in the corner and say, buddy, you better listen to me. Don't do that. You can get arrested for that. But you have the freedom to talk about Christ. As Meredith shared earlier in the service, we even have the freedom to talk about Christ in the public school if we do it within the structure that has been legally approved by the Supreme Court. And that's why we have that club. And I praise the Lord for those who serve there. So... Um, 
what do you think? The shepherds, do you think they maybe remembered this every year? Talking to the newbies, dude, you should have been here last year, man. Uh, uh, you know, do, do you think they did? I think maybe, wouldn't it have been cool if some of them were involved in the early church? And they, they remembered his birth, and they sat under his teaching, and now they're under the apostles, and they're looking forward to see him and in heaven. Wouldn't that be cool? We won't know. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to see the shepherds because their lives were transformed that night. Then verse 21 talks about his circumcision. <coughs> Sorry. Jesus was already holy and already dedicated to God, but he conformed to the outward sign of his inward relationship. See, that's some of what we have to do in our culture. We do the things the culture expects, but we know in our heart we're already right with God, whether we do that or not. Like We, we put up Christmas lights on our house, not to be super spiritual, but to let people in the neighborhood know we're celebrating Christmas. Admittedly, this year we did the least amount we have done in a long time, but we had them up. And just because we want our neighbors to see, we're not ignoring it. It's not wrong to put them up or not put them up. But we want to culturally connect with people. And Jesus was circumcised, completely identifying and fulfilling the law. Um, then in verse 22, now... When the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, uh, that's, oh, about 41 days after his birth, because you have eight days before the circumcision, and then you have another 33 days before the purification, and she can actually go into the temple. So about 41 days after Jesus was born, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Isn't that a funny phrase? They brought the Lord to present him to the Lord. They brought the Lord God to present to the Lord God the Father. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Well, Jesus really was completely and always holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtles or two young pigeons. Now the law didn't say you had to offer those specific things. The law said it'd be ideal if you could offer a lamb, but if you couldn't afford a lamb, then you could offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So the shepherds are on the low-income spectrum, and Joseph and Mary are on the low-income spectrum. They were obedient. They were chosen by God. They were blessed by God, and they were poor. Don't buy into the concept that if God blesses you, you're going to be rich. Okay, it would not bother me if we had some rich people helping fund this church. We could do more great stuff for God. And it's certainly not wrong to be wealthy if you got your money in a biblically appropriate way. But don't think you have to have money to be blessed by God. The richest blessings on earth have nothing to do with dollar signs. 
It's relationships with Christ and with others. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. I love Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means the coming of the Messiah. The consolation, what they were all waiting for. In our culture, a consolation prize means you didn't win, but here's a little thing to take home with you, right? Uh, in, their, in this setting, consolation was a big thing. They were striving for this. This is kind of like uh, when Courtney finished her uh, undergraduate degree, and then she finished her master's degree, and then she had this massive test, how long, couple-hour test, four-hour test she took, and then when she passed that test and she got uh, her certification, I always knew she was certifiable, but she got her certification to be an OT. That's the consolation. She got her certification, and then she could get a job. Now, Megan George is in that process right now. She has that big test coming up next month. Okay, because you have to schedule weeks and weeks and weeks in advance to get those things. But Megan has completed all of her nursing classes, and she has the big test coming up. And when she passes that, that will be the consolation. You now can be employed, and she has a job offer. And once she passes that, it'll work out. And so the consolation, for thousands of years, they'd been waiting for the Messiah that would come. And, and this man was faithful and devout and just, and he'd been watching, and he'd been waiting and praying. Now, verse 25 ends with a weird phrase for us, the Holy Spirit was upon him. See, in the Old Testament economy, theologically, they talk about Old Testament economy, New Testament economy. In the Old Testament economy, the Holy Spirit came on people and then left. So he could come on Saul, and then the Bible talked about a time when the Holy Spirit left Saul. We don't experience that. The Holy Spirit lives within us. The Bible in the New Testament talks about believers receive Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit indwells them, lives within. We see a transition between the Gospels and the epistles or the letters that Paul and others wrote in the New Testament. It, the book of Acts is that transition where at the beginning of Acts, the Holy Spirit's coming upon people and then the Holy Spirit is within people. And we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. So if this happened today, Simeon would be a spiritual man with the Holy Spirit inside him, and he's connected with the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says some Christians grieve the Holy Spirit, and they stifle the Holy Spirit. And some connect with and learn and follow the Holy Spirit. Simeon would have been one of that latter group really listening to the Holy Spirit. And he was led by the Holy Spirit to be in the right place at the right time to meet the right person. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. How did the Holy Spirit reveal that to him? I don't know. I can share with you times in my life where the Holy Spirit has shared something with me and, I, and I've listened to it and I've learned from it and I've followed. He's not revealing new truth like Scripture, but 
I, I remember one particular day, the Holy Spirit told me, go talk to that person and lead them to Christ. I remember once, even with Courtney, I said, Courtney, you need to come and watch these kids because tonight their mom and dad are going to get saved. We went to that house, Courtney watched the kids, the mom and dad got saved. I know the Holy Spirit does lead us. He, it's His Spirit speaking to our spirit. How did He do it exactly with Simeon? We don't know, but we know He did, and Simeon clearly understood it. So he came by the Spirit, verse 27, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, uh, Christ, the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of how many people? All peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He, he held God in his arms. Isn't that an amazing concept? I, mean, I identify Simeon with those who have responded in faith to God. They are serving him and they're being led by the Holy Spirit and they desire a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul wrote, even toward the end of his life, I want to know him. That was the passion of his life, to draw closer and closer to Christ until he was in his presence. Simeon was that kind of guy. His bucket list was to see Christ. I want to be that guy. I want that to be my bucket list. What do you want to do before you die? Nothing. I'd prefer to see Christ before I die, actually, the rapture. I, I love the idea of the upper taker more than the undertaker, right? Uh, but, but I'll be happy to see Christ one way or the other. It's a win-win for us. We see Christ. Simeon said he was now ready for the Lord to take him home because he had seen the Christ. He probably didn't live to see the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He certainly was not there for the ascension of Christ up into glory. But he was ready because the passion of his heart was to fully connect with God. Then there's another lady that shows up here. Verse 36, And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, uh, I identify with Anna as a person who has served the Lord for a long time. They've been faithful for many, many years, and they're still doing it. And they plan to keep doing it until the Lord takes them home. They're going to serve Him. I want to be that kind of Christian. The ESV says that she was 84. But the way this is written, the construction of the text, actually makes it seem like she had been married for seven years and then widowed for 84 years. 
So at this point in her life, it's 91 years since the day she got married or the time she got married. And she got married at what, 13, 14, 15? So she's 104, 105 years old. That's very old for that culture. But she lived well. She certainly didn't overeat. It says she served the Lord with fastings and prayers and, and she exercised. She was serving, ministering every single day. And uh, make no mistake, by the way, when it says she served God with fastings and prayers night and day in verse 37, your worship is an act of service. And I'm not talking about just right in here where Megan served the Lord by playing that beautiful offertory um, and Kathy played with her. That, that, that is service, yes, but your service is worshiping God out there. And praising God out there, that's an act of service. But she did more than that. She served in the temple and she witnessed for him. Uh, she says she spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. She talked to everybody about it. She had been faithful day in and day out for more than 80 years. I can't imagine living over 100. My grandpa made it to 99, one of them. I can't imagine making it to 100. But if I am still alive at 100, I want to be that kind of believer who's still serving the Lord. And I know some of you kids think I'm already pretty close, but I'm barely over halfway. One pastor said of Anna, she was old, but not hopeless. She knew pain, but not bitterness. She knew limits, but not uselessness. She knew loneliness, but not emptiness. I like that. Now look in verse 39. What did Joseph and Mary do? They returned to their own city, Nazareth. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to jump down, start at verse 13. <coughs> Sorry. When the wise men departed... The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. So Luke said, where did they go? Nazareth. What did Matthew say? Where did they go? Egypt. They did not go to Nazareth, Egypt, by the way. But Matthew and Luke are writing to two different audiences. Matthew is writing to Jewish people, and so Matthew emphasizes Jesus' connection in Bethlehem. He mentions Nazareth later. When they came back from Egypt, they went up to Nazareth. But he connects them, Jesus, the connection more toward Jerusalem and toward the family history of Joseph. Luke is writing to um, Greeks, 
And so it doesn't matter to them. And Nazareth means nothing to the Greeks because they weren't of Jewish lineage. But the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write one thing and Luke to write another. But what we need to remember is not that they contradict, but they're both true because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. There is no contradiction. It's not, did he go to Egypt or Nazareth? What's the answer? Yes. Did he go to Egypt or Nazareth? Yes. Did he go to Egypt? Did he go to Nazareth? Yes. He did both. How could that work? Well, the wise men didn't show up at the birth of Christ. The Bible doesn't tell us when they show up. But the wise men came later. They probably did not arrive in Jerusalem until Jesus was at least 18 months old. Why would we say that? Well, when you look down and you see what Herod did in verse 16, when he saw he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceeding angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under. Why would he pick two years old and under? Well, when you go back to verse 7, Herod had secretly called the wise men and determined from them what time the star, excuse me, what time the star appeared. So he found out when the wise men first saw the star, and then he remembered that, and he wiped out every child two years old and under. So Jesus was probably somewhere between 18 months and two years old when Herod did that. So what could have happened? Well, Joseph and Mary are in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem. Jesus is born. They've registered. Uh, They go up to Nazareth. Maybe they go up to show Jesus off to the family. They settle back in Bethlehem. They move down to Egypt because the Lord sends them down to Egypt. And by the way, their ways paid by the gifts of the wise men that we'll see very briefly in just a minute. And then they head back up and they're going to settle back in Bethlehem. Remember that? In uh, verse 19, Herod was dead. So the angel told, in verse 20, told Joseph to go back to um, Egypt. And so he arose and took the young child. But when he came, he found out that Herod Archelaus was serving in the place of his father, Herod the Great. So he decided not to settle in Bethlehem after all, but to go back up to Nazareth. And now it also says that was fulfillment of the prophecies that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, called out of Egypt and called a Nazarene. Uh, So we see that fulfillment of Scripture. But all of their moves fulfilled the various prophecies of the Messiah, and they all can fit within the time frame. Kathy and I made two 1,000-mile moves in a year one time. You can do stuff like that. It's not fun, but you can do stuff like that. So Joseph and Mary went back to Nazareth, ended up back in Bethlehem, the wise men came, they fled to Egypt, they came back from Egypt, Uh, Bethlehem still had the evil son of Herod the Great, so they went on up to Nazareth where that's where they ended up. So let's go back now and see the wise men. And by the way, these are wise men, not kings. 
We sang the song a little earlier and the words on the screen match the hymnal, We Three Kings. Some years ago, we changed the system to where it was uh, we wise men, uh, but uh, it, the Bible doesn't say there were three. There were three gifts. That's all it says. It doesn't say there were only three people. It doesn't say there were three. Could have been two. Could have been 40. Doesn't say. But we know the wise men came from the east because that's exactly what it says. Now, when, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Where is the east? Well, anywhere from maybe 500 miles away to 3,500 miles away, if you go all the way to Shanghai. Uh, but somewhere in between there, and, and who were people in the east that we know were believers? Who are people that were east of Israel that we know in the Bible were believers? Job, greatest man of the east in his day. Daniel, serving in Babylon, a very faithful. Esther, uh, Esther led the deliverance of her people and many converted to Judaism uh, in the days of Esther. Uh, we know that in Midian, uh, Moses had been there and ministered and, and other things. There was a, a prophecy in Midian in uh, Numbers 24, uh, the prophecy of the star. So we don't know exactly where they came from. Some think they came from Midian, some from Babylon. We know they came from the east. And we don't even know they all came the, from exactly the same place. There's a cute little kid's movie where the three guys set out and they meet up with each other on the journey and they're coming from different places. It's possible they met up on the journey and then ended up together. Verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. <laughs> yeah, you would be. If you're the king in Israel, which Herod was, the king in Israel serving under Roman rule. Uh, he served as a Jewish king there. And then he found there's a new king in Israel. Oh, no. Herod was a great politician. He was all about staying in office. And, and so he was going to uh, annihilate the competition so that he could stay in office. Verse 4. When he had gathered all the wise, or chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Who are the chief priests? Where did they serve? In the temple. What do chief priests do? Well, the Jewish priests would offer sacrifices and offerings. We don't have priests today because the Bible says believers are priests. It's a different economy theologically. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and each one of us is a believer priest. But they still had the priests serving in the temple, the priests and the scribes. And so Herod calls the chief priests and the scribes. And today, if somebody's a scribe, it means they're writing something down because you can't, or you're dictating something. But scribes in that day were more like... Um, a lawyer or a trial judge, somebody who would write things down and it was official, legal, and they were students of the law, and so they had a lot of responsibility. And he brought the chief priests and the scribes in. Now, these guys had 
all the revelation uh, that was available up to Malachi, from Genesis to Malachi. The wise men did not. How much revelation did they have? Enough to follow the star. See, we don't have all the revelation we would like, but we have enough to follow Christ. And so the wise men came and they searched, and, and Herod calls these guys together and he asks them, uh, what's going on and what's this say? And so they tell him in verse 5, uh, in Bethlehem, uh, because the scripture says, uh, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. And so then Herod wanted to know exactly when they saw the star. Uh, so Herod called the wise men, and uh, the wise or the wise men shared what they knew. Herod called uh, the chief priests, and he called the scribes, and they all got together. They had this little confab, and then he pinned the wise men down, and you know wanted to know exactly when they saw the star. And then he told them in verse eight, "Go and search diligently, and when you found him, come back and let me know so I can go worship him." No, he, that's not what he wanted to do at all, and we know that by the actions that he did. But the town was rattled by their news. Isn't it interesting that some were traveling hundreds of miles, potentially even more than a thousand miles to get there, and, but the people next door did not even seek the Lord. They had the prophecies of Daniel. It's talking about the 70 years of weeks and 490 years, and uh, it was about 483 years. They, they had the prophecies of Daniel. They were looking for the Messiah to show up on the scene. But the people who had all the revelation were not looking. And sometimes in other parts of the world, there are believers who have much less than what we do. They don't have a whole copy of Scripture. Some of them can't even read, but they have a passion for the Lord, a heart for the things of God, and we can learn from them. The chief priests and scribes had more revelation, but less inclination. They did not motivate themselves at all to follow the Lord. I identify with the shepherds, uh, these guys who maybe started out outside the family of God, but they were brought in and, and their lives were transformed. And I, I identify with Simeon who responded and said uh, he, he was content to go see the Lord and be with the Lord because his passion was Christ, to know Him, to be closer to Him. Uh, Anna had served God faithfully for many, many years, and, and she wanted to not only keep serving the Lord, but also let other people know so they could get in on this. And the wise men were seekers and followers to whom God revealed Himself and draws them closer to Christ. The gifts they gave. Verse 11, when they came to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, 
because he came as king, of frankincense, which is used in the sacrifices and offerings because he is our prophet and priest, and myrrh, which was used as a burial ointment because he came to give his life a ransom for many. Some of these people who praised him when they saw him, some were rich, some of the wise men were. They brought gold. Some were young people. Some were very old, way older than anybody in this room. Some were men. Some were women. Sorry, kids, the Bible doesn't say there was a little drummer boy. It's a cute song, though. Some had been serving the Lord for decades. Some had just come to Christ that first day. But they were all transformed by Him. We need to be people like these people. We need to be pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to be proclaiming Jesus Christ to share the good news to those who will listen. The good news of salvation. We need to be faithful even unto death. You can retire from your job, but you should never retire from trying to do something for God. Even if you don't have the energy to make a phone call, pray for somebody, do something for Christ. We need to be wise men, wise women, wise kids who seek after God, who receive the revelation and follow Him with passion and zeal and then give Him the best of what we have because He is worthy. We're going to close this morning singing number 107. Lord, I lift Your name on high. This song gives us a synopsis of the life of Christ in a little bit. Can you go forward to screen, Tim? I think it's the next one. No, there we go. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. Christ came, the incarnation. He joined us, didn't have to, chose to. You didn't have a choice of being born human. Christ chose to. Next slide. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. He came to give his life a ransom for many. That means me and you and a lot of people out in our community who need to know that. The next slide. From the cross to the grave, he was buried. From the grave to the sky. He rose from the grave and then later ascended up to heaven. Lord, I lift your name on high. See, it didn't matter where they began, whether they were men or women, whether they were rich or poor, whether they were living next door or far east. All of these people did the same thing. They came to the Christ and they shared and they rejoiced. And they wanted other people to know about it. So we should lift his name on high. Now, before we sing this song, I want you to bow your head. And I want you to close your eyes. I want you to have a conversation with God.
And I want you to ask God his perspective of your heart. Are you connected with him as close to him as he wants you to be? You ask God if he thinks you're as close to him as he wants you to be.